Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. It's your host, with the most, Chris. I hope everyone's having a fantastic day today. I know I am. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. So, I want to get some formalities out of the way. So, if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Amazon Music, I'm on all of them. I'm going to tell you guys, there's been a new addition to the podcast, kind of showroom for you guys, if you were watching this on YouTube, you can clearly see it in the back. I have a brand new Dallas Cowboys helmet. I'm going to show it to you guys a little closely right here. It's awesome. I actually got this as a graduation gift. Uh, shout out to them for giving this to me. So it's going to be for the podcast. And you're going to be able to see it throughout the duration of the rest of the season. I'm very happy to have it. You know, very like I said, new edition, and I think it fits the theme well for this podcast, you know, football podcast, you know, I talk about the Dallas Cowboys, the majority, some most of the time here on the podcast, Dallas, Dallas Cowboys fan myself, and we gotta get this ball rolling, gotta add some more Dallas Cowboy memorabilia or stuff aside of me wearing my Cowboys hat, my jerseys, now we have a helmet in the back, who knows, road to maybe getting someone on the podcast from the Dallas Cowboys, who knows, maybe some players, somebody, maybe start getting some signatures on that sucker, who knows, but that's going to be the newest addition to the podcast, so throughout, probably the rest of the time this podcast is going to be going on, you're going to see that helmet, some sort of way or fashion, in some sort of direction, maybe it starts getting filled with autographs, who knows what's going to happen, but that new helmet is here, and it's going to be here to stay, and I'm very excited, especially since football season is right around the corner, that is right, so college football is going to return in about two to three weeks, I'm very excited, football season is almost here along with the NFL has started their NFL preseason, they started this past week with the Hall of Fame game, the Jets versus the Browns, and now this week is going to start all the teams, the Dallas Cowboys, they're going to play this Saturday, I'm going to be watching that game, seeing how our rookies are going to do and some new incoming players, get some reps and see what this new offense is maybe going to look like a little bit. I don't think really the starters are going to play, such as like Dak or anybody like that, so we may have to take some time to see if they're, if he's going to play. So with that being said, sorry about that. So with that being said, I'm still excited to watch the game coming up. It's going to be, like I said, very exciting for me. And, you know, with the new helmet, new season, new team, excitement, here we go. So, so some other stuff that happened, if you guys saw the last episode, I brought this up. I did graduate from college. I officially now have a college degree. I'm very excited. I worked very hard for that and took a very long time uh, to complete, but I finally have it. So thank you to my friends and family that were able to attend the graduation, attend, you know, the graduation party. It meant a lot that they were able to come on out. You know, like I said, graduating college is a big accomplishment, not just for myself, but anybody else out there that has worked hard for a college degree or is working hard right now in college to get your degree. Trust me, you're a lot closer than you think. Just keep grinding it out, keep working hard, and you will get there and you will get that degree. Take it from me, I did not think I would possibly graduate from college and now here I am with a college degree. I'm very happy and excited, you know, to con to kind of start this new chapter in my life to kind of move on from now college to now to maybe what else where I want to do you know, in my future endeavors. But now with me being done with school, I can actually focus also a little bit more on the podcast, you know, give you guys some more content. See, I'm going to see what I'm going to want to do. Um, maybe some more episodes coming out or maybe like something something different, you know, aside of me doing my weekly podcast, maybe like a fantasy 
fantasy day or something like that just because you know fantasy football is coming up i already know a couple people that have already started their fantasy drafts i believe there's some family members of mine they're about to start uh labor day uh like that friday of labor day weekend i believe my uh my group of friends are going to do fantasy football we're going to start it within the next uh, couple weeks or so we're just waiting for everyone to get into town so we can actually have a cool little in-person fantasy football, you know, par, uh, fantasy football draft party or something like that. I'll see what we'll do and kind of what's going to happen if I record it or not. But we're going to have to see, wait and see what's going to happen with there. But a lot of people are already getting started. I know everyone's finalizing their mock drafts to see who they're going to want to get. And kind of like who's going to, you know, what's everyone thinking? Who's going to be possibly the sleepers? Who's going to be in what position? You name it. It's crazy. It's mayhem. I'm very excited. I'm like just so ready for football to begin. Like I said, preseason starts. College football is about to begin. Here we go. And now fantasy football is back. I'm very excited. And by the way, so a couple episodes ago, I did mention this is what I'm going to do. So one of the apps I do like to use is DraftKings because I like to do the little competition with my parents and it's free so what we do is we make a new team every week you know they they give you like a certain salary cap and you have to fit within the salary cap and get your players so what i i, I said i'm going to do probably for this football season i'm going to actually like list who i get so that way you guys can see kind of who i get throughout the week and kind of like my thought process and who i how i pick players and probably in the next episode i'll go into like kind of how i do fantasy football and kind of you know what my mindset is and how i kind of you know, break down players or or I may have like a special feeling that someone's going to go off. Something like that. Very excited to do that. But for this season of the podcast, probably every Thursday because that's when technically the NFL week starts is Thursday Night Football. So what I'm probably going to do is every week I'm just going to post, um, you know, kind of who I picked for the week, at least from DraftKings. That way you guys can see. I'm obviously going to show you guys who I also got for fantasy football in my fantasy football leagues. So you guys can also see who I got there. And like I said, probably in the next episode, I'll break down kind of how I go about, you know, fantasy football, kind of where I got into it and, you know, kind of how I break down how I select players. You know, if I have a gut feeling someone's going to do well or if I can stay consistent with a player, something like that. So I will be breaking that down for you guys in the next episode. I'm very excited to do that one. It's the first time on this podcast we're gonna be talking about fantasy football at least in this uh this kind of spectrum so very excited for all that to begin and you know like i said football season's right around the corner like the hard the meat and potatoes of this podcast is nfl football but football season's almost back we've waited a long time it's almost here everybody get excited so moving to the first topic of the podcast today this past weekend i was able to catch the jake paul and nate diaz fight and Jake Paul would beat Nate Diaz by unanimous decision. I'm not really shocked that this that this outcome, you know, end end up happening. Here's why: Jake Paul has trained like as a boxer. He's been fighting as a boxer. He's just been his opponents have been MMA fighters, which is kind of you know the tops turn things of of it all. You know, he wants to fight boxers, but the one time he did fight a boxer. He got beat by a split decision, and kind of just hearing his after talks with his fight with Nate Fury, uh, with Tommy Fury, and he was saying that the jab was annoying me. Uh, you know, like I couldn't get past it. He wouldn't stop jabbing me, even though that's that's kind of the the realm of boxing. You got to get used to being jabbed at because that that jab is like your friend. It's your get out of jail card. It helps you at least prevent you know possibly getting hit with a strong combo. It gets the fighter to back off you. It helps you set up for a combo or for a big hit. Something like that, and that's what you know. That's what the jab does. Now, obviously, fighting someone like Nate Diaz, 
who has more of an MMA background. Just just even seeing the first round in his stance, you can just tell he he's so used to MMA fighting. Like boxing is just like a second, you know, like a second language to him because it's so different from how MMA is. Because in MMA, you have to always have your hands up uh, to guard yourself, you know, and guard, kind of like react to your whole body. Boxing, you got to keep them up and protect the ribs and the, you know, your upper half, and that's about it. But MMA, you got to get ready for kicks, you know, roundhouses, flying, you know, jab, not even just jabs, but strikes. You know, they try to take you down, put you in the guillotine, stuff like that. And that's the difference, what, you know, between Nate Diaz and what Jake Paul. Jake Paul has trained in boxing for about, what, three to four years already. And he's only trained in boxing when Nate Diaz and maybe some of the other fighters that he fought against, aside of Tommy Fury, have never really trained in the realm of boxing, or at least not at the as long as Jake has. So seeing him win unanimously and kind of just seeing the fight, like after the first round, he took it to Nate Diaz and then he knocked down uh, Nate Diaz in round five when he predicted a, a round five knockout. I, I knew he wasn't going to knock out Nate Diaz. That guy's taking kicks to the faces. He's beat, you know, he beat Conor McGregor. He's taking strikes from some of the baddest people on the planet and still walked away. I think the shot that Jake got on him was right here in the temple. So it kind of just threw off his equilibrium and that's why he ended up collapsing, but he got up like nothing happened. So I, I kept that in mind when he got knocked down in round five that he's taking kicks to the face. I think this guy is going to be okay. I think a knockdown is not the end of the world. What kind of made me nervous though what uh was that when he did get knocked down i was thinking oh no he, he he's gonna get knocked out now because typically when you're in boxing you get you score the knockdown you know they're about right there from either stopping the fight or you can get the knockout you know one of the two but nate diaz i believe he i believe he played it smart i think his defense was kind of like a smart way to do it you know he he really didn't like let Jake Paul dictate the fight, if that makes sense. He did in the first couple, uh, Jake Paul dictated in the first couple rounds. But with Nate Diaz, and I thought this was pretty smart, there were times where Jake Paul would try to clinch or wrap up uh, Nate Diaz, but Nate Diaz would strike at him to let him go, which I thought is pretty smart because not a lot of boxers do that. They just grab each other, you know, and they wait for the ref to break it up. But obviously you lose time and you kind of lose like a little bit of patience because you're like, oh, he keeps grabbing me. But Nate Diaz with an MMA background, he knows keep striking at him because he has to let go at some point. And in boxing, that's what you have to do because you don't have takedowns. You know, you can't do that in boxing. So they have to either let go or push off or figure something out. Because when you, you know, when you get little jabs to the head when you're, you know, you're trying to wrap up and try to, you know, stop the momentum and they start hitting you hard, you know, you got to let them go because you got to back off because you're feeling some sort of pain or you're feeling, you know, some sort of like, you know, like, I guess pain in, uh, not really injury, but like sensation in your, you know, getting hit in the face, you know, while you're getting, while you're trying to clinch and, you know, stop the momentum. And there were times where I saw that with Jake, you know, he kind of had some trouble with Nate Diaz in the later rounds, in my opinion. If, if Nate Diaz didn't get the knockdown, I don't, I don't think it would have been, I don't think it would have been like, I think it would have been maybe closer to a draw than anything, but I still think Jake would have won by split. I don't think he would have won unanimously. I think he would have, you know, split the fight. You know, he would have won by that last vote or they, he would have, you know, scored a draw with Nate Diaz, which is still it's still pretty like, I guess for Nate Diaz's sake, that's pretty impressive that he was able to draw if he would have gotten the draw. But obviously he lost by unanimous decision. But Nate Diaz, I mean, Nate Diaz is a character. If you ever see him talk or fight, he just he doesn't care. He's just like he just says, give me my money. I'll fight whoever I want or whoever. 
whoever wants to fight, he'll fight him. You know, if anybody's ever seen that man, that guy is a character, and he's just flat out entertaining. I remember there were some parts in the fight where he was kind of taunting him. He was kind of leaning back like he was stumbling, and then he popped back up and said, no, nothing's wrong, you know, or something like that. I remember there was another point where he basically guillotine held Jake and lifted his arms up like he would have choked him out, which essentially would have happened if it would have been MMA. He would have had him in the guillotine and probably would have knocked him out or made him tap, whichever, which I'm going to get to that in, uh, that rematch thing that they may do in a little bit. But just kind of seeing the fight, I mean, it's kind of just what everyone expected a little bit. I was hoping maybe Nate Diaz would win or maybe kind of at least, you know, put up a fight, which he did put up a fight. I'm not going to say he's not he didn't put up a fight cuz he did. They went all tw they went all 10 rounds, which is very impressive because most MMA fighters transitioning into boxing, you know, it's kind of hard to keep up with that kind of style, especially since in MMA or in the UFC, it's like 5 minutes uh per round, so it's like 25 minutes in total. But for them, it's like 3 minutes or 4 minutes for like 10 to 12 rounds, so it's like close to almost an hour of like keeping your hands up in boxing compared to like how MMA is, you only have 25 minutes but you, you know, you go through all this grappling training and, you know, takedown strikes, you know, being meticulous in the fight. So that's kind of like where the difference is between the two. But obviously Nate Diaz just had so much stamina. He has like a fourth of a fifth gear. That man just bounces back off of whatever. But overall, I kind of expected Jake Paul to probably win the fight. I was hoping Nate Diaz would win. I was kind of like, you know, hoping he would knock him out or win. I was rooting for Nate Diaz, but I I, I figured Jake Paul would have won the fight just because, like I said, he's been training as a boxer compared to Nate Diaz, who's been training majoritively in MMA. This is the first ever boxing match he's ever done. Now, they did say that they want a rematch against each other. Jake Paul said, like, I want a rematch, but we'll do it in your your background. I'll go move over to MMA. I, I wouldn't do that. If I was Jake Paul, Jake Paul do not get in the ring with Nate Diaz in MMA because it will not work out for you. Here's why. Nate Diaz has fought some of the toughest competitors in the UFC. He's, like I said, beat Conor McGregor. He's beaten some other top names. He is a monster in the UFC octagon. You put Jake Paul in there, he's got to factor in, you know, like I said, the guillotine hold, which he had on him in the later rounds. He was able to hold, you know, Jake Paul in the guillotine. And he lifted his arms up because he knew he would have choked him out right then and there. If he would have gotten the opportunity. And on top of that, MMA training is just flat out different from how boxing is. Because boxing, you know, it's mostly a lot of striking and defense. When you train for MMA, you got to prepare for strikes, kicks, high kicks, low kicks, you know, grappling uh, on top, uh, you know, against the cage, on the floor, like on the on the edge. If you're getting submitted, you got to find a way out. Or if they're trying to put you in a submission, you got to find your way out. You got to, you know, you can strike on the ground, you can hit him with the knee. All that stuff you've seen in UFC and in MMA is completely different from how boxing is, and they will not protect you in the MMA in the in the sense of like they won't break it up. You know, if you're holding and all that, they let it go. So I think that it's a little bit out of Jake Paul's realm. Don't go into MMA. It's going to be very different from boxing. I think he'll learn that the hard way, just how boxing is very different for MMA fighters, especially since the training is like two different coins here. Because in MMA, you prepare for a lot more. That's why a lot of MMA fighters, you know, they specialize in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you know, kickboxing, wrestling, whatever, whatever category, mixed martial arts, as I know is a big one and a popular one, so they could be you know, a well-rounded fighter in the cage. But you move over from just boxing to possibly trying to do, 
you know, you know, defend against someone that's a wrestler or a striker, mixed martial artist, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, whatever, even just kickboxing, it's going to be very different for Jake. So I don't recommend getting in the octagon with Nate Diaz, like I said, who has a reputation of going the, going the distance, you know, making people tap out. He's a striker. He's a hard hitter. He is meticulous. He plays the mind games. You know, Nate Diaz is a great, you know, per, you know, he's a great example of being able to play mind games with his opponent and still come out winning. He's a perfect example of I talk mess and I back it up and you can't tell me anything about it. That's Nate Diaz in the octagon. That was just him doing the boxing fight. Imagine him being that tough in a boxing ring in the octagon, you know, taking head kicks, knees, you know, elbows, strikes from uh, strikes, you name it, he's dealt with it. So he is more prepared to be in an MMA fight than Jake Paul. Even if you give him a year of training in MMA, Nate Diaz is still miles ahead of him. It's like the comment he said in the in the conference. He wants to fight Canelo Alvarez. Jake Paul, do not fight Canelo Alvarez. Canelo Alvarez will kill you. He's only lost two fights in Floyd Mayweather and the Korean Zombie. That is two fight, two really good fighters that Canelo has faced and lost to. He drew against uh, Gennady Golovkin. He's fought some of the toughest fighters in the world. I'm sorry, Jake, but three years of training is not enough to beat Canelo Alvarez. Not even close. Even though Canelo is aging right now and you know people are questioning if he's still in his prime, I would still take Canelo Alvarez right now over Jake Paul in a heartbeat. Jake Paul cannot beat Canelo Alvarez. He could possibly beat Canelo if Canelo's like 56, close to 60, and he just wants money for a fight. That's maybe he can beat him because he'll be a lot older. But right now, don't get in the ring with Canelo Alvarez, Jake. You're not going to beat Canelo whatsoever. Even in Canelo right now, maybe he's losing a little bit of his prime. Maybe he isn't. But in the state Canelo is right now, I would still take Canelo Alvarez over Jake Paul in a heartbeat. So with that being said, will this... Will this rematch between Jake Paul and Nate Diaz happen? I don't know. They said about $10 million for the fight if they want to do it in MMA or boxing. Nate Diaz said, I don't care. I'll take $10 million. I'll fight whoever. You name it. I'm there. Jake Paul said, okay. And he, I know he wants to rematch against Tommy Fury. And he wants to fight KSI. He wants to fight like amateur boxers. Get in the ring with amateur boxers. I would like to see him... Maybe face off against someone with an with average amateur record. I would like to see how that works out, you know, and kind of going about it that route. Because if he at least gets experience with amateur boxers, it's going to actually test his skills. Like when he put up against, like when he went up against Tommy Fury, we saw a clear difference in, you know, in skill set between Tommy and Jake. Tommy is light years ahead of him. You know, from the fight, I, you know, from how I saw the fight, Jake, uh, Jake Paul could not keep up with Tommy Fury whatsoever. Like I said, he was complaining about the jabs, even though that's like the most, one of the most important things in boxing is learning how to jab your opponent. Cause like I said, it keeps your distance away from him, helps you set up, it helps with defense, helps break down defense. The jab helps out a lot. And it's the jab is the boxer's best friend. And if he got annoyed by Tommy Fury just jabbing at him, you can only imagine how he's going to deal with amateur boxers or probably boxers that are more, you know, seasoned and veteran in fights compared to Tommy Fury. He's not going to do well. So if my recommendation is just don't fight any more MMA fighters, you've proven your point. If you take MMA fighters into boxing, they're not going to do well. Tyron Woodley, you know, he lost both fights and he got knocked out in one. Ben Askren got knocked out. He knocked down Nate Diaz. So we've seen, you know, that example of all that happening. And Jake just needs to get in the ring with an actual boxer. So that way... He can actually see where his skill set is and kind of, you know, where he's at 
you know, skill-wise and kind of where he ranks. I know he said he wants to be a world champion in the next couple years, but I'm sorry, Jake. You gotta fight. You gotta fight. You gotta fight more than one amateur boxer. You gotta fight more. You gotta start working up the ranks. But we'll see what happens with Jake. You know, I'm very, you know, I'm very excited that he's actually trying to, you know, go into like amateur box, you know, fight amateur boxers. But like I said, after I saw the fight with Tommy Fury and he took the fight with Nate Diaz, we'll have to see if he ever fights an amateur boxer. Uh, hopefully he does soon. That way he can act, we can actually see what he's like against someone who's actually, you know, been in the boxing realm. But please don't fight Canelo Alvarez. You will not beat Canelo Alvarez at all, like whatsoever. Alrighty, so next topic for today. College football crazy stuff. The Pac-12 conference is officially dead. I said it. They are dead. They're about to be put in the grave, nail in the coffin. They're they're dead. Like, so here's what's going on for those of you that may not know. So Oregon and Washington are making the jump after this season to the Big Ten. And then Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah next season are making the jump to the Big 12. So the Pac-12 is dead. Like, it's just dead. And it's sad to say because the Pac-12 was not really a, a conference that was taken super serious. There were times where there were a couple teams that did really well, like Oregon when Marcus Mariota was there. Washington had a good couple years. UCLA, USC, they're usually, you know, they're teams that we talk about, and they're contending teams. I know USC's always ranked, like, top either top 20 or top 10 top 15 they're always they're always in that conversation of if they're going to be like this powerhouse again they always get the good rankings ucla you know sometimes they get ranked oregon they get pretty good rankings every year washington who got really good but now everyone's making the jump everyone's going away so the pac-12 i'm sorry if you're any pac-12 fans it's officially dead after this season there are not many teams left that are gonna try to keep up and keep that conference afloat so what i believe is going to end up happening is the rest of the teams that are still left in the pac-12 are just gonna have to find somewhere to go whether it be in the mountain west or they try to go to the big 10 or the big 12 whichever ones but i, I feel so bad for that conference because it was it was not really a small conference but it wasn't clearly as big as the sec or the big 10 or the big 12 or anything like that and that was kind of the sad part because their teams the teams that made those that conference really strong which was like usc ucla oregon washington you know those teams were made it so dumb you know at least relevant because because they were respectable teams, you know, USC, always respected every year. Oregon, who's up on the run now, they have Bo Nix, who's projected to be like a top quarterback prospect. Washington's doing great, and then USC, they have Caleb Williams, all that stuff. So we've seen, you know, those teams be able to compete with other top nationwide teams, and the others not so much. So now everyone's making the jump all of a sudden. And it's crazy to me that now with, you know, everyone jumping ship to somewhere else and now that we're kind of experiencing the trend of maybe teams are just going to join powerhouses for either money or better reputation, maybe better talent, whatever the case may be. And we're seeing this trend and maybe all these smaller, you know, conferences are going to start dying out soon. Like I said, like the Mountain West. They may start dying out. The CUSA may start dying out. The ACC, I don't really believe so. I think they'll be okay for a little bit longer. But we're starting to see that trend of, you know, just everyone going down, you know, at least the smaller, like, quote-unquote, smaller conferences like how the Pac-12 is. It's the smallest out of the biggest, and now everyone's jumping shit. But there is one, there is two people to blame here for this whole trend going, you know, down south, you know, this past couple years. And there's only two teams to blame. UT 
and OU. UT and OU are the ones to blame for the Pac-12 dying out. Here's why. So recently, they got offered to move to the SEC by ESPN. There's a big old controversy, like court case between the Big 12 and ESPN because of that reason. So when you look at that, UT and OU, they were the biggest names in the Big 12. You know, they had, if you you could debate in some years, they had really good, you know, really easy compared to the SEC and probably compared to the Big Ten. They had some pretty, you know, not as difficult teams to go up against. OU, for the past few years, they had an easy trip to the college football playoffs. You know, when Baker was there, Kyler, you know, Lincoln Riley was there. And then UT, to an extent, they had at least a, a decent shot to make a bowl game. Now they're making the jump to the SEC where they have to go up against way tougher competition. There's not a guarantee that they're going to even make the SEC conference championship. Not even a guarantee they're going to make it to the college football playoffs. So why in the world would they make the jump? That was my thought process whenever this uh, this whole shebang, this whole shebang first began was what would be their purpose if they stayed in the Big 12, they would have less a borderline lesser competition than being in the SEC. They remain the top two dominant schools in the, in the Big 12 compared to the SEC because when they go to the SEC, they got to go up against teams like Alabama and Tennessee and Florida and Ole Miss, Arkansas, who did pretty well this past year. All those teams that are there, LSU, another one, all those teams that are pretty good, that bring in a lot of talent, A&M uh, is another one, and they got to go up against them every year. And the conference for the SEC is just getting bigger and bigger with them integrating so many schools into the conference. So what did the Big 12 have to do? They had to make up for UT and OU leaving the conference. So they went out and they're bringing in UCF, U of H, I believe also BYU and Cincinnati. So they brought in four teams to come in and try to replace, you know, kind of replace them. Now they're bringing in more teams in Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State and Utah. And then you move on over to the Big Ten, who just brought in USC and UCLA, and they're making the jump. So they kind of pulled the UT and OU, and they're going there. Now Oregon and Washington are making the jump to the Big Ten. It's just a lot, in my opinion, it's a lot of moving, and this is this is why they're to blame. Because they started that, you know, they started that trend of starting to jump ship and go to a bigger conference. Now ESPN and now the the controversy thing or the conspiracy that the Big 12 has with ESPN is that ESPN offered them like all this exclusive money and they can make more, they get more national TV time if they make the jump to the SEC compared to the Big 12. Now they're moving as of next year because I believe they ended up paying extra to move into the SEC as early as possible. So now we're gonna see that happening and it's just it's so. Uh, it's just so frustrating because now you know smaller you know smaller conferences like the Pac-12 is starting to you know die out. It's only going to be soon till the Big Tw- uh, the Big Ten or the Big Twelve or the SEC starts swallowing up some other ones, and we just end up having you know giant regional sections, which I think is going to make things a little more complicated than anything. So it's just it's a weird time in college football right now, in my opinion. Now that there's that trend of everyone jumping ship to a bigger you know, to a bigger uh, conference, so that way they can maybe get more name recognition, make it bigger, make it great, more competition, whatever the case may be, or in UT and OU's case, bigger money. So, with all that being said, it's just, it's going to be an interesting year since this last season is probably going to be the last time we're going to really see, like, that, you know, all those teams in those conferences, because I'm sure pretty soon Pac-12 is going to start dying out until they, they get rid of everybody, 
the Mountain West, maybe the CUSA are going to start dying out and start going to other conferences. It's going to it's going to be interesting cuz I believe uh, for you the CUSA, they lost UTSA and they went to the ACC, so they're out too. And that was like one of their bigger teams in that conference. So they were another example of them doing that. So with all that said, it's just it's going to be very interesting. Like some like some of these games are going to be the last time you see rivals go up against each other. Like like specifically for the Big Ten, uh, the Big Twelve, you know you you have Texas Tech and the Longhorns. The Longhorns are rivals with everybody in Texas, but you're not going to see that rivalry anymore after this ne- after this next year. TCU is not going to go up against Texas anymore. Um, Baylor is another one. You know you're going to have all these you know all these rivalries that were happening. OU with their rival uh, with their rival schools against OSU. Another example like they're they they're not going to play them anymore. And I think that's what's going to kind of hurt everybody, you know, because people, you know, especially college football fans, they live to see, you know, those rivalry games. You know, some of them wait a long time to go, you know, to see OSU versus OU at either Norman or Stillwater or Tech versus Texas or Baylor or TCU versus Texas, you know, or even also like, Washington, you know, Oregon State and Oregon since they're making the jump as well. All all these rivalries are really just going to start going away soon, and then they have to wait for you know either the smaller conferences to die out so that way they can get integrated and then bring them back, or something other crazier happens. It's gonna be it's gonna be like I guess a crazy in a sense it's gonna be like a not I don't say bittersweet I would say probably it's gonna suck it's gonna suck for college football fans because because a lot of people grown up on those rivalries and then being in conference you know making the conference harder and more competition we've seen you know, all that happen and grow, but now, you know, SEC and ESPN, you know, collaborating and get, you know, get big schools to go to them for more money, you know, then big, the Big Ten has to do it to keep up with the SEC, and then the Big 12 has to do it, so that way they can, you know, make up the revenue that they're losing with their two top schools leaving, you know, I know TCU just made the national championship, but man, was that game not pretty, but, you know, you you know, you add in Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado, which, I mean, Colorado is going to bring in a lot of viewers because of Coach Prime and whatever he's building over there in Colorado. So it's just, it's going to be very interesting, I guess, going into the next season, going into the next year. But this upcoming season, I would just say if you're a college football fan, enjoy it because we don't know when you'll ever see rivalry games happen again. I don't know if it's going to be when smaller conferences die out and the bigger ones just kind of consume everybody and they got to break it up into regions. It's going to be interesting. It's definitely going to be a confusing time whenever that day arrives. And especially whenever, you know, those regions have to be, you know, taken into consideration for, you know, conference drops and games and all that good stuff. Because I know, I know for the Big 12 specifically, um, at least for Texas Tech, they don't play everybody this football season. Like, I believe they don't play OU, but they play all the new schools and they play UT. But then for basketball, they play almost everybody, but. You know, I think they play like some like some games over there only, and then uh, at home a few games. It's it's really confusing, you know. And the scheduling is just very interesting. But they're gonna have to do it that way since more teams are coming in and they don't have a big enough season to incorporate everybody. So it's gonna be kind of a confusing time, you know. But this year, just everyone enjoy it while it lasts because we don't know when we're gonna see a lot of these teams go up against each other again, you know, and. Just cherish it this year. That's all I got to say is just try to cherish, you know, your experiences with these teams and these rivalries because we don't know when they will be coming back. Alrighty, so moving on from kind of college football and the Pac-12 dying out. Topic number three for today, we're talking Dallas Cowboys. They play this uh, this Saturday, I believe, 
They're playing their first preseason game. I'm very excited for that. That's why I got the Cowboys jersey on, got the hat, got the brand new helmet in the back. Very excited, but we're not here to talk about the game. We're here to talk about some other, you know, kind of some, not really training camp drama. People made it out to be drama, but here's my reaction to it. So last week there was a video of Dak Prescott and Trayvon Diggs. Dak scored a touchdown in practice, and they were just, they were talking mess to each other. And do I think it was a big deal? No. What? I don't think the Dak Prescott and Trayvon Diggs yelling at each other is that big of a deal. Here's why. You have two players at the top of their game, at the highest level of competition, going at it at practice. They're competing. Words are going to chirp at each other. People, you know, say stuff to teammates, you know, to maybe because they're frustrated at themselves or like, you know, it's just the heat of competition. You can't take that out of sports. You can never take that out of sports. It's the heat of the moment. You know, people, you know, you get frustrated because you let the offense score. The offense gets frustrated because they turn the ball over. Whatever it may be, you've seen that frustration. We've seen it w this past year with Tom Brady and he was yelling at his teammates or when he was in New England and when he yelled at his coach. We've seen all those stuff happen you know, to other players and to coaching staff. We've seen coaching staff yell at each other in the past. So what makes it different right now, and that's what I believe, is where's the difference? That Dak Prescott and Trayvon Diggs are just chirping at each other. It's practice. I believe that they went on, they got interviewed and stuff, they were asked about it, and they said it's not that big of a deal. I don't think it's that big of a deal either because I, I like that there's competition. I like that they're competing with each other and they're trying to make e you know each other better. As I stated in the last episode, Dak Prescott is going up in practice with arguably the best defense in the NFL this year. And then they're going up against possibly one of the top offenses in the league this year. So there you know there's a lot of competition, there's a lot of heat between each other. So they want to make each other better. Like I believe it was uh Dak Prescott who said iron sharpens iron. And I believe that's absolutely true. And here's an example I guess I want to give. So when I was younger I, I play call I played high school sports and I played football. I've ran track and cross country. And even in track and cross country, there's heat of competition where, you know, sometimes teammates talk smack to each other. I know for sure in football, that was that was really big, you know, because it's a heat of the moment sport. You know, you're competing against each other. You're trying to get the at the end of the day, you're trying to get the best out of each other. Now, imply that to, you know, a grander scare at the highest competition level in the NFL right now. And they're trying to make each other better going into next season. Cause everyone's goal in the NFL is to win the Super Bowl. I know that's definitely Dallas Cowboys goal this season, you know, to try to win a Super Bowl with how much talent they have on the team. So they're trying to make each other better. So what if they're chirping, uh, chirping at words? I think it'd be different if they got in a fight, like what happened with Josh Allen and the bills. That's something different. If they got into a straight fight, that's some that's a, something that's a little bit more of a concern because they're fighting each other and I don't think it should ever go that far. But it's just, you know, words tripping at each other, it's not a big deal because it's just words, they're just excited, it's heat of the moment and it's just them, you know, trying to get the best out of each other. It's just them competing, which I I like. I like that the Dallas Cowboys, their one their number one offense and the number one defense at practice are going at it. They're chirping at each other. They're trying to make each other better and trying to stay, you know, and keep that level of competition and keep, you know, keep that energy going into the preseason and going into the start of the regular season. It's going to be very exciting to see. And I've never really seen that at a training camp, at least for the Dallas Cowboys wise. I've never really seen that happen. And there are people who are saying like, well, it's with the quarterback or there should be some sort of like level of respect or you shouldn't really talk like that to, 
a quarterback? No, I think you should because you're trying to get the best out of the quarterback, especially everyone was criticizing Dak for the 15 interceptions. You know, they're trying to make him better, and I think Trayvon Diggs seeing him as a teammate and I'm trying to make my teammate better is a whole lot more reasonable than him walking on shells walking on seashells with Dak Prescott just because he's a $40 million quarterback. That's something that I don't really agree with. If you're going to do that, go play with Aaron Rodgers. Go do that with him. But if you're not, if you want to actually try to get the best out of your guy, you know, talk trash, you know, tell him what, you know, tell him what's going on. Tell him what's up and tell, and tell him I'm not going to back down just because you're the quarterback. I'm going to talk mess because I want to compete and I want to beat you. And that's everyone's goal going into games is you want to beat the other team. And I'm very happy that, you know, Trayvon Diggs is trying to get the best out of Dak Prescott because that's what we're going to need, you know, going into the season is getting the best out of Dak. And if this is the way Trayvon Diggs is going to do it, then I completely agree with it. And I I will stand on that hill till this till this road till this train rolls off. So, you know, like I said, they're still brothers and they still you know they still love each other to death. So at the end of the day, as as long as they know like we're teammates and we're cool, it's just competition. I think they're going to be okay. And I think that you know they shouldn't. No, Cowboys Nation shouldn't worry, and you know the media shouldn't take it as they hate each other or you know Trayvon Diggs doesn't respect Dak Prescott because I don't think that's what it is, and I really truly believe that's not the problem. It's really just coming down to, you know, they want to get the best out of each other, and it's just competition. And as long as it's not a fight, I think that they're going to be fine. Because if it's a fight, different problem. But at the end of the day, they're teammates. They're just trying to get the better out of each other. Iron sharpens iron, like Dak says. And I'm just excited to see how the season's going to go. And the preseason start. The Dallas Cowboys play this this Saturday, I believe. So very excited to see. You know, I will have the helmet out for the game. Very excited. Moving on to the next topic, though. Speaking of guys from Texas, we're talking about Kyler Murray. So Kyler Murray still has not report. He's still having ACL problems in his injury. They don't have a timetable for when he returns. So the big question is: the big question is, should Kyler Murray sit out the season? I say no. Here's why: Kyler Murray should not sit out the season for 160 million dollar reasons. The Arizona Cardinals are paying him 160 million dollars. In guaranteed money, he has a five-year, $230.5 million contract. If he's ready to go and he feels like he can go, then go. I'm not saying don't rush him. Don't rush Kyler Murray back and hurt him some more. Because I'm just saying if he is feels like he's ready to go and they're, he's cleared, then I'd say let him play. Because if you sit him out and you run into the situation that you possibly start tanking, and you don't do well this season. First of all, it's just a bad it's a bad experience for Cardinals fans and the Red Sea Nation because you know your team is not doing well and you're gonna possibly get the first pick in the draft, which guess who it is? Quarterback Caleb Williams from USC, who might be lurking in the shadows as a number one pick. So Arizona, I believe, with this whole situation with Kyler Murray going on and thinking about it from that perspective, I just I don't really see like I don't really see a reason to sit him if they're paying him so much money. And the worst part of it all is the worst worst part is that Kyler Murray held out. You know he uh, he pulled the petty card. He unfollowed them from Instagram and Twitter. You know he was he threatened to not report the training camp and all this stuff. And then he got injured and, you know, messed up his ACL and now he just didn't play and the Arizona was the worst team in the NFC South and in the NFC in general. So, 
you know, with them, and then they led to them firing Cliff Kingsbury. Even though I think he's a great offensive mind, maybe not offensive, co- maybe not a head coach, but I, you know, no, actually, I think he was a good head coach for the Arizona Cardinals. I scratched that. I think he was pretty good because he always made the play- he made the playoffs the majority of the time he was there. He put an offensive scheme that fit Kyler Murray and revolved around Kyler Murray. And now they're bringing in a defensive-minded coach from Philadelphia, who's very awkward, mind you. And now you're expecting him to maybe turn around Kyler Murray. We don't know how it's going to look, and I don't know how it's going to be for Kyler Murray. You know, and now with his ACL injury and no one has a timestamp on when he's possibly going to return, and they're asking if they should sit him. If he if he's not 100% to go, then yeah, I would consider sitting him. But if he's ready to go and they cleared him off of everything and they said, yeah, he can play, I'd say let him play. They're paying you're paying him to be your franchise quarterback and if he's just sitting there making his money, then what was the point of him holding out? What was the point of double of just saying, you know what, we'll give you whatever you want, Kyler, and giving him that money if he's just not gonna play? Because then his contract just eats up a big part of the salary cap for the Arizona Cardinals where they could have used it somewhere else and put it in to maybe Buda Baker or bringing in a big free agent or re-signing DeAndre Hopkins. They did not have to cut him. You know, stuff like that. They could have used his money for other pieces that could have helped, but yet they gave it to, you know, they gave him all, a lot of guaranteed money. It took Kyler Murray. They gave him a, fi- a big long-term contract. And if they cut him after the season, they still owe him about, like, I think over a hundred and something million dollars for two more years on the contract. So with that being said, you know, if Kyler is not going to return, then then I don't really see why they want to keep him and keep paying him when they could bring in, I don't know, somebody named Caleb Williams who will be on a rookie deal and a little more cheaper, and he's a little more team-friendly. But where would you go from there with Kyler Murray, though, if he doesn't play this season? I would say you may have to trade him just because it wouldn't make any sense to keep having him on your payroll if he's not going to play. It doesn't make any sense. And there's still a couple of teams that could use, you know, a quarterback. You know, the Las Vegas Raiders, they're probably going to need a quarterback very soon. There's a couple other teams that are just off the top of my head, I can't really say, but for sure, like, the Las Vegas Raiders may need one. There was somebody saying maybe Dak, if he doesn't do well this year, and maybe they want to move on and find someone else. You know, you could throw them in there. You could throw in maybe Tampa if things don't work out with Baker next season or if the Rams don't want to continue with Stafford they can always throw him in they can always trade him over there there's there's a lot of options they have like there's there's definitely a lot of options that you know can acquire Kyler Murray and use him of his services another example is probably the New England Patriots if Matt Jones doesn't do well this season and you know, go about it that route. Or maybe even the Atlanta Falcons of Desmond Ritter just doesn't seem to be the answer. So they have options and they have a way to figure out what they can do with Kyler Murray after the season. But as of right now going in, I would say if he's ready to go, play him. Because you're paying a lot of money for him. So if he's if he's ready to go and he's not, you know, eating up your contract you know, just to play Call of Duty every day, then make him play. Like, I would say make him play because you're paying him $160 million guaranteed to play. If you're paying him $160, $160 million guaranteed to not play, then I think the Arizona Cardinals are just bad business people because that's kind of stupid. Now, they do have Colt McCoy and Clayton Toon, who I think is doing pretty well in the pre- uh, during this training camp and, and during the 
OTAs in the offseason and the rookie camps. He's, apparently, he's been looking very well, so I'm excited to see what he's going to look like in the preseason. I, uh, they do play this week, so I'm kind of curious how Clayton Toon's going to play. I know there's been some speculation that maybe he'll take over for Colt McCoy, just because Colt McCoy is just up there in age, and you know Clayton Toon's a lot younger, and maybe he'll start. If Kyler Murray's still not ready to go, they'll put him in and see what they got with Clayton. It's gonna. It's definitely the Arizona Cardinals have an interesting situation going into the regular season, and now that the preseason is here and Kyler Murray still has no word on when he will return, it's gonna be a definitely a tough decision for Arizona to make going if they do have to make him sit this next year because if they don't do well and they tank, yes they win the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. If not, and then try to trade Kyler Murray. But for right now, I would advise the Arizona Cardinals if he's ready to go, play him. What you know? I mean, you already you already lost all the money. You're already owing him guaranteed money. Might as well, might as well make him earn it. So that's how I'm looking at it right now. Especially since the Arizona Cardinals just don't look good. They're on paper they don't look good going into this year. And now that they're probably not going to have Kyler Murray, they lost DeAndre Hopkins. They're going to possibly have to run with either a rookie quarterback or Colt McCoy, who's got who got hurt last season. It's going to be interesting for the Arizona Cardinals, but I just don't see it being a good year. So I think at the end of 2023, they're going to have a lot of tough decisions to make about their future. All right, speaking of injuries, Joe Burrow for the Cincinnati Bengals has been ruled to miss several weeks of playtime. That's not good. And should the Bengals be worried and be patient? I wouldn't say worried, but I would say patient. Be patient if you're the Cincinnati Bengals. Definitely him. Do not rush back, you know, from injury. That's your franchise quarterback. You know, aside of, you know, how compared to how Arizona has their situation, Joe Burrow is the franchise, and he's definitely the franchise quarterback that the Bengals want. Here's why. You, we've seen what happened when he first got injured his rookie year. The Bengals went 4-11 and with him being injured, and then the following year when he came back, they made it to the Super Bowl. And then the next year, they, they got pretty far, and they made it to the they made it far in the playoffs. So Joe Burrow has proven he can be a franchise quarterback. He got to the Super Bowl in his second year. Mind you, with a bad offensive line when they brought in Jamar Chase, when everyone believed they should have got an offensive lineman, they brought in his wide receiver Jamar Chase, and they ended up going off. They got all the way to the Super Bowl and made an appearance and barely lost to the L.A. Rams. If they had a better offensive line, in my opinion, they may have won the Super Bowl. But I digress. But, you know, Joe Burrow you know, has proven himself, you know, he's proven to be a top five quarterback in the league and the Bengals just can't rush him and they need to be patient. If he's going to be out for several weeks, give him time to recuperate, especially if they're going to try to maybe start working out a contract for him. This is, I believe his third year, you know, his third, his third year of his rookie contract. And he's about to come up on his fourth. So with all that being said, Joe Burrow, you know, he needs to take time to be healthy because I mean, the best of it, uh, best ability is availability. So, if he can stay, if he can somehow get healthy and come back stronger than ever, then I think the Bengals are still going to win the division. You know, I still think they have a really good shot, but they need to make sure Joe Burrow is going to be there through the 18 weeks, compared to only being there for four or five, and then they don't have him the rest of the year, and then they're you know stuck probably with a high draft pick because they don't do so well without him. I don't know who the backup quarterback is for the Bengals, so that's kind of a more of a bigger concern. 
So, and then especially since the Browns are bringing, are finally going to have Deshaun Watson coming in to play in the NFC North, and then the Ravens are brought, uh, the Ra- not the NFC, yeah, the AFC North, sorry about that, and the AFC North, and then they have still Pittsburgh, who's going to find a way, Mike Tomlin's still going to find a way to finish above 500. And then you have the Baltimore Ravens, who added on a lot of offensive weapons at receiver. They got rid of Greg Roman, who loved to run the ball, and now Lamar Jackson's going to be more of a throwing uh, quarterback. And then you have the Bengals. So I think they just need to be patient because their division is going to be tough. And the only way I can see them winning their division is if Joe Burrow is, you know, behind center playing quarterback for them. I I understand they have a lot of talent. They have Jamar Chase and, you know, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins. They have, you know, they have pretty good, they have pretty good weapons. But if if Joe Burrow's not there, I don't know how far they'll really get. So I think they need to be patient. They may lose a couple of games if he doesn't if he's not ready to go by the regular season. They may lose a couple of games, but I would say do not panic. There's still a lot of football to play and as long as Joe Burrow is 100% and ready to go, then they're not going to have an issue going and going further into the NFL season this year. But if they try to rush him back and bring him in by week 1 when he's not 100% and they risk him injuring himself even more or possibly, you know, getting injured throughout the season, then their playoff hopes are gone and winning the division is just gone. And that's going to be the bigger concern and the bigger problem the Bengals are going to have going in, you know, going into the season is if they rush him, they're going to take, you know, they're not, they're possibly not going to win the division. But if they let them rest and be patient, maybe they may have to lose a couple of games. It'll turn out will play off big in the long run at the end of the season when they are there with the division and their t- uh, with the with the division title in their hands and then making a push in the playoffs. So hopefully Joe Burrow speedy recovery. Hope you hopefully you can come back. We're excited for you to play. We're excited for headband Joe Burrow. He's bringing that back. Last time we saw that was LSU and LSU can tell you that was a pretty good idea and a pretty good look for them. So hopefully Joe Burrow will be all right and he'll come right back. Speedy recovery to you, Joe Burrow. Hope to see you pretty soon. Alrighty, so final topic for the podcast. We are wrapping up my predictions on who will win the divisions coming up this upcoming season. We only have one more left in the next episode, but we are doing the AFC East. One of the most talked about divisions this year with the addition of Aaron Rodgers coming to the Jets. Now we're trying to see who do I have winning the AFC East. So I have the Buffalo Bills winning the AFC East. So I have the Buffalo Bills winning the AFC East for a couple reasons. Number one, I think that overall they have a pretty good team. They're bringing back Stephon Diggs. Vaughn Miller's coming back. They have a team set up and ready to go. They clearly can get deep in the playoffs. So they've proven that they are a strong, you know, dominant powerhouse in that division, and they've been doing it for the past couple of years, ever since Brady left. Now we move on to their competition. The Jets, they're going to have a tough year. Do I think they got better adding the Green Bay Packers to their team? Yes, of course. Rodgers, Lazard, Randall Cobb, oh, they basically added the Green Bay Packers to that team. But... Will they be on paper the Super Bowl contender that everyone, that Mike Greeny and all these people have them? I don't know because we haven't seen it. This is the first year that this is gonna be in play. So I've I've said it from the beginning. I think that the Jets they're gonna be pretty good. They're gonna be top contenders and you know in the AFC. But will it be this year? I don't think so because of how much competition they're gonna have in the AFC. You know, it's not just them and the Bills. You know, you still have the Dolphins, which I'll get to them in a minute. So. I think that that's going to be the biggest thing is that it's going to be their first year all being together. You know, Aaron Rodgers is going to be his first season going up against, you know, 
the Buffalo Bills and the Patriots and the Dolphins twice a year and then going through the AFC, you know, as a whole with some NFC teams. So Rogers is going to have to deal with that. And on top of that, you know, I've seen on videos and interviews that he's saying he's a brand new guy. He's not as like, you know, a pain in the butt or giving people headaches. But we also have to keep in mind nothing has gone wrong yet. Aaron Rodgers does not like it when stuff goes wrong. I bet he's all happy and chirpy, and I mean, I would be all sunshine and rainbows too if nothing has gone wrong yet. And I'm sure he's like all you know, sunshines and rainbows and hunky dory over there in New England. But however, or not New England in New York. However, Aaron Rodgers has not gone through adversity yet. He has not you know dealt with injury. He has not like lost a play, you know, lost a key factor in the offense yet. You know, hopefully he doesn't, you know, at least I don't pray for injury on people, but you get what I mean, you know, and he hasn't had like, you know, that season participation where stuff can go wrong, like a bad play call or a a poorly timed decision or something other than, you know, something going on or a receiver running around because we've seen what he's like when stuff does not go his way. He, you know, throws the biggest tantrum. He blames it on the receivers. He doesn't take accountability. So we just haven't seen that Aaron Rodgers yet because he has not gone through adversity yet. So with that being said, we don't, I, I think the Jets are going to be good. They're going to be way better than they were last year. They may make a play, make the playoffs, but do I see them being this, you know, dominant team to beat the Bills? No, I still have the Bills over them. Then let's move on over to, I believe, who the third strongest is going to be which is the Miami Dolphins. The biggest question is going to be how long will Tua Tungavailoa last? That's the biggest question. Will Tua last this upcoming season? Last year, he ended up with two concussions, and he was out for the season, and that team just went out the door from there. They still had a chance to make the playoffs, but they didn't because they were running with their third-string quarterback in Skylar Thomas. Teddy Bridgewater is gone. I believe he signed, uh, he got signed or he got traded, but he's not with Miami anymore. They still have a pretty good offense in Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. However, go to defense. Jalen Ramsey has, met, uh, I believe he has a torn meniscus and he had to go under the knife and get surgery. So he's going to be gone for a while and it's going to take time for him to recover. So the Miami Dolphins are already hitting, already getting hit with injuries and it's not their quarterback. Hopefully Tua can stay healthy, but without a healthy Tua, they're, they're kind of dead in the water. And it's not going to look good for Miami if that ends up happening again. Now, let's move on to the New England Patriots, who I think is going to be the weakest in this division. And the reason why is because there's so many question marks going on about this season. You know, now that Bill O'Brien's there, will he will he help reshape that offense after the disaster Bill Belichick did, you know, signing Dan Patricia to be offensive coordinator when he had no business of being offensive coordinator? So we don't know how Bill Belichick is going to work with his new off. Uh, he's going to look with his new offense. Will Mac Jones be better than last year? I know last year. I don't blame Mac Jones for last year. Last year was definitely he had a horrible coordinator. However, comma, will he improve this year with Bill O'Brien? We don't know because still Bailey Zappi is there and there was that whole competition with them. Like who would be better? So there's that going on. They did not get DeAndre Hopkins, which is a bigger concern because they don't have a, a number one wide receiver. Since Jacoby Myers is now with the Raiders, they brought in Juju Smith-Schuster to hopefully come in. But I really don't see Juju as a number one because he wasn't even the number one wide receiver when he was in Kansas City. Even when he was in Pittsburgh, he looked like a number one, but then after Antonio Brown got, got kind of essentially left, then he, you know, he kind of got some number one reps, but he wasn't truly, I believe, that number one. And then he went to Kansas City, and he wasn't the number one there either. So I don't know if he'll really be a truly a number one wide receiver. He's definitely going to be the best option, in my opinion, in New England, but we don't necessarily know. 
So it's a lot of question marks, and definitely the biggest one is Bill Belichick is on the hot seat this year. He is, you know, he is on the hot seat because without Brady being there, they have not made the playoffs. They did really bad, you know, ever since Brady left. So now, you know, Robert Kraft is probably thinking, was it Bill Belichick or was it Tom Brady? Because it started to look like it was Tom Brady. So Bill Belichick on the hot seat. We don't know how the offense is going to look with Bill O'Brien coming back from Alabama. You know, hopefully, Mac, you know, will Mac Jones improve? How will you know? How will the wide receiver problem? Because that was that's been their biggest issue is what their what is the New England Patriots wide receiver core gonna do and how are they gonna look like? So it's got it's a lot of question marks in my opinion, and I don't think they're they don't have the strength to compete against the Dolphins and the Bills and the Jets. So they're gonna be probably last in the division. So out of all of them, I have the Bills, probably the Jets and the Dolphins. It's gonna be like probably a splitter of one or two games, and then the Patriots are gonna be the weakest link in that division. But overall I have the Buffalo Bills winning the AFC division this year and they're gonna make it into the playoffs. Alrighty guys, but that's gonna wrap things up on this episode of the CAV Sports Podcast. Make sure you follow me on all my social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Threads, TikTok, at CAV Sports or CAV Sports Podcast. This episode will be live and up on YouTube, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. Hopefully you guys had an amazing day, and I'll catch you guys in the next episode.